When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We are glad you're with us. I'm Steve Vandegraaff, and I'm back with Dr. Derek Williams. Woo-wee! <laughs> that was a Lufkin hello there. <laughs> Howdy, y'all! <laughs> Derek, I take it you are ready to finish part two of our uh, podcast here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, Steve. I'm ready for it. Great, great. What's going on down there? It sounds like you got some good stuff in the water down south. <laughs> Always. There's uh, lots more than water in the water. I was going to tell you, you know how I mentioned, I don't know, it was was on one of our last podcasts we did together about how I had read uh, Andre Agassi's book. Yeah, yeah. So a few weeks ago, we were on vacation in New Braunfels, Texas, which is this really cool town in between San Antonio and Austin. We had an awesome time. We stayed in our fifth wheel trailer. We were there for nine days. Jenny and I took turns telling stories to the kids at bedtime. They all sleep in the, basically it's the garage area of a toy hauler. So there's two, it's like a queen size bunk bed. Nice. So on the nights that it was my turn to tell the bedtime stories, I told them stories about Andre Agassi from his book. They got so into it. It was a lot of fun. At the end of each night, I would give them a preview of what I would, what what I was going to tell them the next night. And then uh, the next day, they'd be asking about that uh, that stuff. Nice. But anyway, so they really enjoyed that. And we had already been playing tennis here and there. But uh, since then, we've been playing more. We've been watching YouTube tutorial videos. It's been awesome. Wow. They're learning a lot and making a lot of improvements in their game. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We went and played this morning. And uh, Brinley, my seven-year-old, had been hitting two-hand forehand before. And today we experimented with having her hit a, a one-hand forehand. And she did awesome. She was hitting it so well. And she it, it's just like, you know, there's so many things to focus on. And it's hard to remember everything. And today everything just started to click for her. And she was hitting these great shots. And those kinds of experiences are so fun for me to see my kids work hard and to experience success, you know, in, in different little ways. Yeah. Super cool. For people out there that don't know, Derek is a very accomplished tennis player. Oh, shut up. (laughs) We played three weeks ago and you like, I couldn't even hit the ball back to you one time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. And you have a broken leg still and you still like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, as always, Steve is much kinder and uh, gives much more credit than is actually due. No, that's great. I think that's tennis would be a fun thing to get into as a family. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. I'm excited for more. So far, like, oh, I actually bought a wrestling mat this week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like a, a real wrestling mat. And that's what my kids do because we're not quite as uh, disciplined and talented for tennis, <laughs> but we do like brawl every night on our wrestling mat. So. Do you just put it like in the basement or where do you put it? 
Uh, yeah, we like to have a, a big room. We call it, well, we called it the wrestling room because we always just wrestle with the kids in there. I was like, I'm going to get a wrestling mat and fill the wrestling and make it a real wrestling room. And we did. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. We do lots of funny little wrestling games that I did, you know, when I wrestled and when I was younger and yeah, it's cool. It's, it's fun. So some kind of similar to what you're doing. Maybe we should uh, be more disciplined into it and look up tutorials and get really good, but <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. It's fun, fun time with kids. So now that you all got your kid tip that you probably weren't interested in, we are going to jump back into what we were talking about last episode, which is adding staff to your practice. And let's say your practice is growing. Things are going well. You have lots of new patients coming in. And so your office is growing and growing. How do you decide when to bring on more help? and which positions should you look to add when. Last week, we talked about making sure your current staff is maximized and efficient before adding staff. Don't throw you know, an extra body at a problem when that may not be the best solution to fixing it. We also talked about using your staff overhead numbers and the bonus system, the 20% that Derek talked about to help determine whether you can afford to hire somebody and what increase in production that person would need to bring to the office in order to warrant hiring them. And then we spoke specifically about when to hire another assistant. So we're going to finish up today. And first, let's kind of jump into maybe the next uh, position, which is front desk staffing. So Derek, how many front desk employees should an office have? I would like an exact number, please. If you want to go ahead and get it. Does it have to be a complete integer? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Oh, because I was going to say 1.76. Nice. Is that your way of saying there's not a specific number? Oh, Steve, you always seem to read my mind somehow. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on the same page here. But there is not an exact number. It depends on a lot of factors. How many patients do you see in a day? How great is the person you have up front? Or perhaps do you outsource any front desk tasks? The most common thing that we usually see, not always, but usually is that front desks are overstaffed. I'm actually really impressed with Justin and you, Derek. You guys have done everything you have with one front desk team member, which is awesome. I mean, you're the exemplar here, Derek. How, I mean, how do you do it with one front desk? I should probably ask before we go further. Steve, I am about to ruin your world. I actually have two front desk employees right now. Wait, stop the tape. Are you serious? No, you really do? Yes. <laughs> I am telling Justin on you. I feel so offended. <laughs> Well, every year we've been increasing our daily production goals. And, uh, you know, we've, I've talked in other episodes this year is the highest we've ever been. Earlier this year, we were talking in, in the practice about possibly bringing on another person up front. After we got back in the swing of things after the shutdown, we were totally swamped. We decided that it was time and we made the hire. So... For for four months now, we've had two employees up front. Nice. Yeah. So to be honest, I think that this is your most important job position in the practice. The front desk is, is the face of the practice. They are the first 
And last person that patients see, they're often the same person that patients talk to on the phone when they call. It's a very important position. You want someone who can be kind and sweet, but can also be stern and and straightforward when they need to be. Uh, They need to have good organizational skills. There's a lot that needs to match up in this employee in order for you to have only one front desk in this position until, you know, you really start ramping up and getting to the point where you need to bring on more help in this area. But uh, I like the way that you explain this, Steve. Why don't don't you kind of take it from here? Talk about like, uh, you know, is there any indicators that you use when talking to, to clients as far as helping them decide on the number of employees that they should have at the front desk area? Well, congratulations on having two. That's I just feel so vindicated now. I'm not the only one. (laughs) No, that's great. Good points. You know, there's lots of ways to look at it. I certainly feel if you're doing, you know, 50, 60, 75K in production a month, that that can probably and should be handled by one really um, great front desk Sometimes I see offices producing lower numbers than that with more than one front desk. And I, it kind of confuses me like how you could be keeping them fully busy or maximized. So I, I do feel, while it's hard to put a number, you know, I think you know, a, a great front desk can certainly handle a million dollars in production. And, you know, there's a different ways to get to a million dollars in production. You know, if there's a fee-for-service pro- um, office doing high-end stuff, you know, they're not seeing a a lot of volume of patients to make that. So another way you can look at it is, and I think this might be a better way, is how many appointments do you have scheduled each day? Um, Because if you think about it, the front desk, they're answering phones, they're checking people in, checking insurance, presenting a treatment plan, checking them out, accepting payments, rescheduling them for each patient. So if doing 10 a day versus 20 a day, that's really different. I feel, and I think I've read, um, maybe it was Sandy Purdue or something, but you know, if you're seeing 30 patients or under a day, one really good front desk can handle the administrative load with that amount of patients. Once you get above that number, I think it's really hard for them to do everything well and to get all the phone calls and to follow up on claims and lots of other things that take um, some, I guess, undistracted focus time. So I think uh, if you wanted to kind of do a back of the napkin analysis, 30, you know, 25 to 30 patients a day, a great front desk can handle that for you. If you're getting more than that, I would consider bringing on a second front desk employee, say for another 15 to 20 appointments a day. And anything above that, you know, 50 appointments a day, you're like some freak of nature (laughs) or more likely you're running kind of a larger operation practice. Maybe there's multiple docs and multiple hygienists. So you have another administrative layer that would require uh, more hands up front. But I think that kind of way to to look at it can be helpful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and uh, that's probably in my practice, that's probably pretty close to the numbers. You know, I think in the past, we've probably averaged between 25 to 30 patients a day. And, you know, maybe we've picked that up a little bit and been able to see, see a few more and work in things consistently getting above that. So I think that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb to look at and to kind of compare. But for the most part, 
you are going to see it so many practices that are seeing 25 patients or less per day that still have two, three, maybe even sometimes four yeah. uh, employees up at the front. And that's definitely just, it's overkill. It's a lack of training, a lack of responsibility and, and a lack of leadership in, uh, as far as the part of, of the owner, as far as, you know, making sure that you can, you can really get a lot out of, out of your employees. If you don't have high expectations and you just look to hire someone else, you know, whether you're pressured or, or whatever, you're not going to, to get the, the high performance. Yeah. Let me, while I'm, while I bring that point up, I'm actually reading right now, I'm reading Steve Jobs' biography. And in it, I mean, he was very, uh, a very polarizing figure. And uh, I mean, probably disliked for a lot of the ways that he, he led people. But one thing that he was, that, that showed a lot of results was he had such high expectations. I mean, I've read story after story of, of employees having, you know, saying, you know, this, this just can't be done. We got to change the deadline or, you know, this, this just can't exist in this, in this way. And he over and over said, I know that we can do it. I know that you guys are up for the task. Get it done. This is how it's going to be. There's, there's no way that we are not doing it. And when he really put his foot down and uh, had high expectations, he got a lot out of his employees. And he said, when, that, when he was asked about it later, he, he said that um, it wasn't just about getting employees to believe in themselves and to, you know, perform better in that way, but it was, it was getting them to perform better than they ever imagined that they could do on, on their own. So it was almost like his belief lived through them and transformed their ability to produce and get results which I mean is definitely can be a can be a tough form of leadership but there are definitely times where I think I think that can be an appropriate method of of getting more out of your employees. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's kind of funny because I read an article this week about Bill Gates, his uh motivational style and <laughs> he called it I think negative praise, which basically means he was really hard on people, but he would praise them at the same time. So he'd be, he'd just like set a super high standard and be really kind of hard or even harsh, but say you're the best of the best. That's why you're here. That's why I'm expecting you to do it. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, personally, you know, bring it back to front desk personnel. I have two and it's worked really well for my office. One is definitely always um, at the front desk doing phones, check-ins. The other one does insurance and then is also a floater that and she usually comes back to help assist for usually like a couple hours each day whenever it gets really busy. So I kind of like having that flexibility there. It also helps when one is sick or has to leave town that there's a little redundancy up there so the ship doesn't sink when one's gone. And I'm curious, Derek, I mean, you have, you have uh, more now, but when you did have one front desk, how would you handle it when, I mean, did she ever call in sick or was that a scenario that happened when, when you found yourself suddenly without a front desk just to play devil's advocate here? Yeah, honestly, this is one area that I, I really dislike this argument 
and this methodology for having extra employees, you know, we're going to have an, another full-time employee just so that, you know, the 2% of the time when one, one employee's out that we can have a backup. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing is creating a team where everyone is super committed. My staff do the best that they can to make arrangements. I only work three days a week and I take a vacation week every six weeks or so. So it's very realistic for them to be able to schedule other things where they need to. And it's it's very rare for us to have essential team members gone when I'm not in the office. So my initial response is that in my office, it's it's really it's not an issue. That's cool. Yes, it does still happen, but we just, we all, for the most part, we really try and help each other out throughout the week. There's always going to be times where, you know, maybe somebody has a little bit more time and somebody else is a little bit more busy. So we can always help each other out. So for the most part, everyone is uh, cross-trained in a lot of different things. And uh, so if that rare occasion ever happens, we're just going to have to bust our butts a little bit more to make things happen. Yeah. I hate to bang on the same drum, but again, it goes back to that 20% bonus system that when they know how the system works, they're, and when I say, well, maybe we should hire someone else so that when we get in trouble, we have this to lean on. No, everybody wants to bust their butts and, and, and make, it, no. make it happen. No, don't do it. Stop. Right. <laughs> That's great. It's awesome. Yeah. Great point for me personally. I like what you said about cross-training because I think when you cross-train, it's almost like you have an extra staff member, you have an extra assistant when you need one, or you have an extra front desk when you need one. This is really valuable. Uh, That's the way I ended up having two front desks is because I just had one assistant that would go up and help uh, make outbound calls and confirmation calls. And we got so many more appointments from having extra, uh, extra time up on the phones than we decided to to make it full time, but she can still come back and assist. So I, I really, if you haven't yet, I would recommend you cross train. Everyone should be able to answer phone, confirm an appointment, even, you know, a front desk and then come back and, and flip a room. I think that gives you um, a lot more kind of wiggle room when things get sticky, when someone's out or when it gets really busy. So it's a good thought. Yeah. I think this can be a great option for any practice that is in between. You know, maybe they don't need another full-time front desk or a full-time assistant, but both in the front and the back, they're feeling a little bit of the squeeze and not able to keep up with the demand that is there. This is a great option to have a floater that is cross-trained that can help in, in both of these areas. Yeah. Another option when hiring another front determining whether you should hire another front desk hand is considering outsourcing front desk um, tasks to a third party rather than bringing another employee on. Usually these companies do things like insurance verification claims, billing or other stuff similar. Derek, I personally have never outsourced front desk tasks. I mean, I don't know. Have you done that at all in your office? I have not either. I'm I, I'm similar to you in this way. I do think that this is a valid option. I've done this with several clients that I've worked with. A lot of times, you know, we'll do it as kind of this temporary thing and uh, see how things go. Uh, it might be to help get caught up with collections and get our systems up to speed and then to drop that service that we've been outsourcing or maybe another area. But yeah, I've had several clients that have done this and it seems to work out well for the most part. 
I've never had to do it personally, but I've considered it and I've discussed it as an option with my front desk multiple times. Again, banging that same drum, but it goes back to this magical 20% bonus system that we talked about. If I'm paying another company to outsource a job that really should be done by an employee, I'm going to include that in our payroll cost. So a lot of times when we have looked at this as an option, you know, we've looked at it as an option because we weren't to the point where we were ready for a full-time front desk. And, uh, but I just let them know like, Hey, you know, if we need to do this, that's fine. This is going to go into that bucket though of, of our 20% payroll. So that will change things. And, and when we've gone down that road and had that discussion, my front desk and team members, you know, it's always, okay, well, let's, let's figure this out. Okay. Where are we lacking? How can we all pitch in and help and, and find a way to get these things done so that we don't have to spend the money on the outsourcing and we can keep the bonus the same. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to solve that problem because it allows me to be very open and I'm not against the idea, but, but my staff know what the outcomes could possibly be. So it's, it's instead of uh, me versus them, it's, it's all of us working together to, to solve this problem and find a solution. Awesome. That's great. If you haven't instilled the team bonus system, or maybe you're doing a different one, an easy way, I think you could decide whether to front debt hire another front desk or to outsource things is just to compare the costs. You know, if a company is going to do claims and insurance verification for 3K a month, could I hire somebody and pay them the same amount? If so, that person in your office could likely handle those tasks and probably do other things too, like answer the phones or check in patients or whatever it is, in which case I would probably choose to just hire another person. If the outsourcing costs are a lot less than what it would take you to pay an employee, it could be a good move. I have a client that he's doing this and it works really, really well. They they have a they negotiate a great deal for outsourcing and the company does a lot, including covering phones and everything whenever they're out of the office. So it works great for him. So those are some options. Not, you know, one isn't right and one isn't wrong. You just need to determine your costs, what's the incentive for your whole team, and then kind of decide which route will be the best for you. So to finish and hit our last topic, we've talked about assistance and, and front desks. Let's talk about when you should hire another hygienist. Obviously, this is important because adding a hygienist is adding another provider to your practice. And so you're going to... Wait, did you just say hygienist? I did on purpose it... too. <laughs> but then when you said it after that, then you said hygienist. I wanted to say guy because I think it'd be... A great thing to have a, another guy in the office. <laughs> okay, so... Guygenist, hygienist, hygienist, and RDH. All right. Or if they're a really educated hygienist, RDHMS. Great. Okay, well, that's. I just wanted to check and make sure you were being intentional about that. So the fact that you are is excellent. I'm, Thanks. I applaud you, Steve. Thanks, just working on the vocab here. Anyway, so this is something you want to look into. And... I mean, there's a reason why the old doctor down the street that has four hygienists working full time to him for him does really well, even though there's not much doctor's production in the practice. If you can't keep your hygienist busy right now, it's obviously not time to add another. But if your hygiene department can't get a new patient into your office for, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks, 
then you really need to look at tweaking your hygiene supply in order to meet the demand. You don't need to immediately add another column of hygiene every day of the week. So for example, if you need more hygiene help, but you wouldn't be able to keep a full-time hygienist, a second or third full-time hygienist busy all the time, just consider adding you know, two more days of hygiene per week or maybe three columns per week. Kind of an in-between scenario where it's part-time and then you can increase as needed. Also, if you want to add a hygienist, before you do, I would make sure that your downtime rate for your hygienist is not more than 10 or 15%. And by this, I mean, if your schedule looks full, but with, by this, I mean, if your schedule looks full, but with no shows, you look back at the end of the day and your hygienist was only working, you know, 65, 75% of the time. The issue that needs to be corrected is improving patient appointment commitments. So we need to improve communication and, and how to help our patients keep their appointments. In general, however, if your practice is growing and you can train your hygiene department to be productive, adding a hygienist and helping your front desk rise to the challenge of scheduling them to keep them busy, that will be a boon to your practice. Great points. Uh, What are your thoughts on this, Derek? You know, expanding hygiene. I know one of your first moves in your office was hiring a second one almost right away, right? Yeah, I brought in a second hygienist part-time within the first couple months of ownership. You know, I the practice that I purchased had been in place for 30 years and had had one full-time hygienist that full 30 years. But, uh, you know, we were booked out and we didn't have any, hardly any slots for new patients. We were starting to also do a lot of undiagnosed perio that was in the practice and we didn't have slots for uh, SRP. So, adding a part-time hygienist was a, a pretty easy move to, to make. And then within a year, we continued to get more new patients. We increased demand and we brought on that hygienist to full-time. And then since then, we've stayed relatively consistent. I think that a, a key thing here for me that, that I think many dentists totally missed the point on goes back to our discussion that we've had in the past about bottlenecks. You and I have talked about this, Steve, and how we want the dentist to always be the bottleneck in the practice. Because for me, if I'm going to go to work, I want my time to be maximized in the practice. I don't want I don't want to have to be waiting for a room to be turned over. I don't want to have to wait for patients to get checked out or I don't want to have to wait for the assistant to get things set up. All of those things are bottlenecks. And if if those things are the bottlenecks, that means that I am not being fully utilized and maximized in the practice. So how this comes to play in this discussion with, with hygiene and the number of hygienists, I really need hygienists to help me maximize my time. They are there, in my opinion, to help feed patients to me. They are there to help with case acceptance and to help patients to commit to treatment. There are times when I've seen dentists continue adding hygienists to the point that they can't even run a productive schedule on their own because they're checking hygiene too much. They feel bogged down and their uh, their practice production can actually lower at times. 
you know, you talked about that, that doc down the road that, you know, has four hygienists that it looks like he's doing well. Cause he's always busy. Well, I'd argue that his practice is highly underperforming unless he's got, you know, the docs to, to do the treatment and stuff. But if it's a single doc practice with that much, it's very likely underperforming. Uh, that is a very inefficient practice that could bring in potentially other associates or be be doing a lot more to really capitalize on that number of, of patients in a practice. So that may be a time that you would consider bringing in an associate or, or someone to help in that way. But when I'm looking at this discussion, ultimately, I don't think that you should only look at hygiene schedule. You need to look at the doctor's schedule too and see what things look like. So, you know, potentially if the doctor's side is is totally maxed out and is a very productive schedule and there's no way to, you know, make it more productive, I don't know that adding another hygienist, even if hygiene is booked out, I don't know if that's the best move for the practice unless there's plans to bring in another dentist or to expand hours or to do something in that way. Because I would argue that you're going to be bringing in more responsibility as far as hygiene checks and stuff like that, that um, could potentially hinder the amount of dentistry that you can do, which is ultimately where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck in your practice. Great point. So if I would probably guess, Derek, if you came to that point, the route you would take to continue to grow or increase profitability would be to raise fees, drop some insurance, make your personal time more valuable in that way. Am I correct? Yes, exactly. I knew I was. Uh, see, again, you just, <laughs> you just read my mind. Steve. <laughs> no, but I mean, you got to look at your options if you, if you want to continue to grow. Most dentists never even think of this question, never even think of, you know, oh, well, I'm at, I'm at capacity. Should I make any changes? Most of them are like, oh, I'm, I got a full schedule. This is great. But uh, yeah. yes, essentially in order to continue to grow, you either have to expand how much dentistry can be done by either working more hours or adding another dentist in the practice, or you look at those things that you talked about, which comes down to getting better compensated for the time that you're already in the practice, which uh, may filter out some of the patients that may may not want to pay higher fees or uh, be pay out of network, you know, those types of things. So yeah, exactly. Great point. Yeah. Cool. I think that'd be a fun topic for another episode is maybe talking about associates or maybe the potential of having an associate. I think that would uh, be helpful for a lot of doctors who I think have reached this level we're talking about where they've grown a lot, they're busy, and they're trying to figure out what would be the next step. Anyways, yeah, could be a fun thing to talk about. But Yeah, yeah, I agree. Wise points there, Derek. So to kind of boil everything down in summary, there's not a hard and fast rule as to when to add staff. But as we're... We are, we should be, you know, continually growing in our practice as we treat patients great and people are sending their friends to us. It's inevitable that as we get more patients and hopefully a fuller schedule, we will to a point, you know, not maybe exactly to the, the point you were talking about, but at, at least initially, we'll need to bring on new team members to appropriately fill our, to lift our lid as to what's possible. And these are some ideas of when 
to do that. I've had a, a couple of docs kind of point out or, or mention that we at the lifestyle practice, like we have super small teams and lean staff. And I think we do have smaller teams and lean staff. And we'd have that um, in our three practices, at least because of these principles. But I don't want people to misunderstand and say that we don't believe in, in adding staff and growing and getting uh, some more help up front or another hygienist. Those are um, like we mentioned, those are decisions you need to make that will increase your profitability and allow you to keep your payroll budget where it needs to be at the same time. So with that, if you um, have any questions about your practice, you know, whether you should add an employee or are you appropriately staffed, I think it'd be cool to maybe discuss that on the Facebook page. So feel free to post any questions or thoughts or experiences you have. And of course, if you have questions on this or anything else, feel free to email us, Justin, Derek, or Steve at the lifestyle practice.com. Dot com. If you don't put in the dot com, it won't work. That's, there's a lot of people that have had problems with that. So just <laughs> FYI. Yeah. I just wanted to take a quick second and just say say thanks to all the listeners. We've had we've received a lot of really kind words from a lot of people, whether it's an email or post on our Facebook page. Recently, we got a review on iTunes that I wanted to share and say thanks. This was uh, written by Dental Craft with a K. They said, always enjoy the docs and the topics. This podcast was recommended to me by a colleague. I've shared this podcast with so many friends because the topics and discussions are awesome, easy to understand, and all the docs seem down to earth. Wow. They are genuinely... Oh, they genuinely want to share some <laughs> tactics to help improve your lifestyle in so many ways. I hope to have one of them as a coach in the near future. Highly recommend. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to be able to share our experiences and, and help out. We enjoy doing this and we always enjoy working with, with new clients and uh, changing lives. I mean, I don't want to say that and have it sound cliche. I know it will, but Ultimately, that is where the, the joy comes from. Jenny, a lot of times my wife will say, she can tell when I get done with a, with a coaching session because she says I just feel energized and positive. And it's true. I just really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun to look at different situations and to help, help dentists in, evaluate their situation and decide what they want and get more out of life. So great. thanks for the great feedback. With that, as Justin would say, Peace. <laughs> Bye.